Welcome to your Pride Month episode of the VJ Clinic. <laughs> I can't keep it up. I just can't keep it up. I'm going to kill myself. Hello, I'm Vanessa, one of your hosts. And with me, as always, is Darren. Say hello, Darren. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm very excited to be you talking to like you, Vanessa, me. tonight. And our wonderful guests. <laughs> it sounds like the John Lovitz impression. Of Vanessa, Harvey. you didn't I tell me that. You, you didn't tell me Harvey Firestein was going to be on this episode with us. You never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy for well, you. I'm going to call my yeah, mother. I know. Well. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I I think only maybe, I bet the singer for the Mighty Mighty Boston's could do a pretty wicked harvey firestein but i don't have the throw for it i've heard that yeah. before <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm well, sorry did i that say that out loud is... i'm sorry <laughs> and that is one of our guests from friday the 13th hello we have maddie and andrew I'm not even going to attempt the say voice. Hello. <laughs> just say hello. It's it's funny that so this is that was Andrew Kors. This is Maddie. I um I was actually trying yeah. to do a Harvey Firestein voice today at work, and it, it was a disaster. I wasn't sure who was going to. I wasn't sure who was going to try to jump in. <laughs> I, you know, I I thought you know for the scene later, let's just give it. I'm gonna. I have a new interpretation. We'll put it that way. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, did you hear the episode when Patrick um, from Screen Queens was on when we did Heather's? <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> and he turned into Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when we were recording that, I could not stop laughing the because I was like, where did that come from? I didn't expect well, it. I'm like, I'm totally I fine with it. But you have to warn me. <laughs> I think that Catherine Hepburn, though, is one of Patrick's natural states, I'm fairly sure, though. Well, that's true. That's true. We love you, Catherine. <laughs> we love you. Yes, we do. You're one of our favorite queens. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we will, we are, this is going to be an episode of uh, Many Queens. It is going, we are going to be covering Harvey Firestein's Torch Song Trilogy, um, the film based on his play, and the vampire uh, Afrofuturism novel, The Gilda Stories by Jewel Gomez. So awesome. Yeah, different kinds of queens. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fun. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, how are you, uh, gents, doing over at uh, Freugay? We're doing what well. What do you have going on? Yeah, we we just released our uh, Pride episode of ours. You were on it, um, and uh, yeah, yes. it's it's going well. It's I mean, it's a Monday night, so I think we're all a little like, yeah, like can we, can we go to bed <laughs> now? <laughs> but we're happy because, especially in Chicago right now, it's 
Um, you know, it's the last week of Pride Month, and we're going into Pride Weekend now. Um, and we celebrate it the same weekend that, that New York does. So, you know, we're all in solidarity together. And it's a lot of fun this year, especially because, you know, for us that are really into the history of where we've come from and where we've been and where we're going, this is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall coming up June 28th. Um, and it's such a time for us to celebrate because we've done so much. We've worked so hard. We've lost so many. Um, and we're going to such great places um, ahead of us now. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's really incredible. I, I This year, I, I feel a lot more proud uh, than maybe I, I have before. And I feel a lot more ready to, to fight, too. So it's a lot of fun to uh, be talking about it. Yeah, I know. I'm... Uh... I'm excited too. I actually, before uh, we started recording, I was just saying that this is my 23rd day in a row working, yeah. but I am taking Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off from work for Pride, and then Monday as a recovery day. <laughs> God, <laughs> goddamn right you um, are. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, I was gonna try to do the trans day of action on friday it's going to depend on how unfortunately how tired i am but i'm definitely uh doing the dyke march on awesome. saturday and then the big um reclaim pride rally at central park the Ooh. alternative pride on sunday um, loving it yeah. it's perfect yeah yeah i decided two more uh, two marches was going to be too much <laughs> for me yeah but i'm excited awesome andrew what are you doing um we tend to stay away from the parade just because mm -hmm. in chicago it tends to just bring in a bunch of people from the suburbs that want to get wasted in the street <laughs> and it's not right. really it, it's lost a little bit of that um pride aspect i think um yeah so we tend to just celebrate it in our own way we basically just have a bunch of people over in the backyard and grill up some food and just kind of celebrate our group of friends and, and our group our, our chosen family well and this is actually the first year that the news is going to televise pride our pride oh, parade yeah. sure. like they always do with like the puerto rican day parade and some of you know some of the you know some of like other big parades uh, i think part of the saint patrick's day parade whatever but this year they're going to be doing uh pride at least part of it and of course it's the corporate pride parade of yeah, course yeah. Uh, and march that's that's going on and it, you know <laughs> this is how crazy it is with the corporate with our activities going on and i'm happy that it is attracting a lot of people for this and for this historic celebration. But when you ha open up a storefront on Christopher Street in the West Village, you know, not that far from Stonewall, and you basically make it like, ah, oh, here's your, you know, tourist pride NYC. You know, that's what it, I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's sure, just sure. for like, and it reminds me, it, it's all set up in this gross manner, just like the tourist things in Times Square, which I, you know, I work by and I'm already yeah. like, oh, but then I'm like, oh no. I mean, it, it, 
And it, in all, I mean, in all fairness, though, there is like at least they have one wall in the store or whatever set up that has photos from the actual events and the actual uh, uprising. But still, it's. I just be you know it, it's more like okay, the pride guide mm-hmm. usually here is maybe 75 pages okay yeah, sure. and of course you just kind of get like a gross feeling about it <laughs> right I, 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 I know the feeling when I first went to San Francisco in 2017 it took me long enough to get there um, but mm-hmm. the first night that I was there, I went to the Castro and I was, I yeah. was, uh, I, it was, it was a wonderful day. I, I got my medical card right away. I bought weed for the first time legally. <laughs> yeah. I, and then I, you know, got my ass down to the Castro. And, uh, the first thing I wanted to do was see the camera shop. I wanted to see Harvey's camera shop. And so I get to where the camera shop is and what is Harvey Milk's camera shop and HRC gift shop now. And I, yeah. I, I, it was this dual thing, right? I looked at it and I was so, yeah. I, I was bawling in the street because I, I, I was just so proud to be there and so happy to be there, so grateful. And at the same time, I was just yeah. so, it was this feeling of revulsion because out of all of the um, the groups that work for, for equality right now, that work for, for liberation, HRC is just by far the most corporate. Um, and I've had a, a bone to pick with them in a lot of ways for a long time um, amidst the good work that they do sometimes do, I will admit that. But seeing a gift shop in Harvey Milk's camera shop just yeah, yeah. made me want to puke. Yeah. Well, that's like my yeah, my friend talking about like, oh, the gift shop and the Anne Frank house or Anne Frank Annex. I mean, like Oh gosh. You know, it's a little yeah. Sure. You know, I, I think I think Americans Americans need to have some sort of souvenirism, right? It's like um, you know, just a, what you know, another another quick um, anecdote. I was I was at the Holocaust Museum also in 2017 in DC, and there were these kids with their phones out the whole time, you know, snapping the whole thing, Snapchat. Um, it's I think it's just it's 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 baked into us in America. You have to have some sort of souvenir, some sort of token, some sort of thing that says I was here, I was here. Um, and today that 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 comes from the gift shop. It comes from the phone. Man, that pile of shoes at the Holocaust Museum in DC really fucked yeah, Darren, me up the first time. That that's what they were Snapchatting. The not even joking. I, I oh literally my God, do I, not I tapped, even, Oh yeah, I, I tapped one teenage girl on the shoulder and I said, I don't think you should be doing that. And she turned around and she looked at me incredulous. She said, The guard said we could. And then oh I just, I just, I literally just turned around because I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to tell off a teenager, oh. number one. And number two, I was like on the verge of a breakdown the entire time in that motherfucker. So like, you know, it was just whatever, but that's just, you know, it's weird. <laughs> so are. you're like, I want to burn everything in the world down. Yeah, <laughs> there is no yes. hope. There's no hope for humanity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think uh, I literally just saw an article today that was like, Americans are the most like rudest travelers, like of the whole, <laughs> of the whole world. <laughs> Like go us, great job everybody! Like, did you read that when you like? Uh, not a surprise. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except well, for us, we're we're good travelers. We're good travelers. There's a Lori Anderson piece from the early '90s, and she's talking about the American salesman, and then she's you know she's talking about trap being in airports and you know just noticing all these different people. So she notices all the salesmen and stuff, and then she notices like the tourists, 
and she says there's a list of don'ts for American tours and like these are the there's like I guess 12 telltale signs of American tourists like don't chew gum all these different God. things and, and it's like oh my god that's so so true you can completely spot whatever but I mean I have to say it, this New York this year the pride guy is it, they're catering to a worldwide crowd of tourists mm-hmm. you know because it is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and the pride guide is now 275 pages Jeez. Oh my and God. so much of it is corporate ads oh i'm sure the whatever corporate events and at least some of it is you know catering to you know a diverse community like communities like people of color who are american but then also you know people from outside the country you know yeah so I, w- I will say they're trying to be a little more inclusive well and it's but, one of those things that we you know, you know I, I work in marketing so i and i have for you know marketing and yeah. advertising for you know a long time and i understand like why you know it, it's targeted behavior so of course you're going to want to advertise in it but then it gets to a point where you're like well I get it, but at the same time, can you try a little harder instead of just like making your logo a rainbow for a month? Right, seriously. Right. You know? right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um... I digress. I digress. <laughs> I think we've digressed. But um, on that note, let's go ahead and take a break. And then we will come back and um, start discussing the movie. Sounds um, good. Be back. Okay. Be back in a moment. Faye Ray, <coughs> Janet Lee, Adrian King, Heather Langenkamp, Amy Steele, that weatherman who saw the cockroach, Jamie Lee Curtis, and you. Come on, you know you wanna. Let her rip. There, now don't you feel better? You are now officially a Scream Queen. Come play with the rest of us at www.screamqueens.com. That's Queens with a Z. Or you could subscribe to us on iTunes. Either way. It's going to be fucking fabulous. The Scream Queen's Horror Podcast. It's where horror gets bent. And now, another episode of Quarantine Theatre. So Arnold, Ed tells tells me you're a transsexual? Transvestite. I'm sorry. That's all right. Look, I'm actually, I'm just a drag queen. (laughs) Did I tell you I'm teaching my class as computers? It's an experimental program. Oh, really? 
He's even tried teaching me a thing or two, but I'm baffled. You know, hardware, software. I can never remember which is which. <laughs> well, that's easy. Just remember computers are the opposite of people. With computers, the software goes into the hardware. And with people, the hardware goes into the uh, oh, software. Oh, my, my. All this good food has just done me in. Let's, uh, let's just say we uh, hit the hay. Huh? Did you see how he fawned over Alan at dinner? He practically cut his steak for him. No more than I fawned over you. I did cut your steak. Yeah, I could have killed you for that. The two of you were lovers. Little games and jealousies are going to pop up. Did you see how he made such a point of running off to bed early? Oh, I'm so tired. All the food, all the good food's done me in. If I had someone as pretty as that to go to bed with, I wouldn't have stayed up late either. You think he's pretty? Uh-huh. Don't you think he's a little young? Uh-uh. You hear the way their bed springs were squeaking? I think that I do pretty well in the squeaking department myself. <laughs> oh, you do, huh? Yeah, he's making a uh, yeah, making allowances for wear and tear. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's too early in the race to make a plea for sympathy. You want to race? Okay, we'll race. <laughs> <laughs> and may the best man win. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, did you hear that? Oh, baby, talk dirty to me. We'll go outside and listen at their door. Give my best to the bisexuals. Only he's bisexual. She's straight. Too bad. Mixed marriages never work. So what do you think? About what? Seeing Ed again, with me to compare him to. It... Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. He ain't so hot. Not hot enough to be the great love of your life, anyway. I never said he was the great love of my life. He's got his good points, though. He's, he's good-natured. He's good-looking. He's good in bed. Good and boring. He's not good and boring. He's just plain boring. But you loved him, right? I guess so. He loved you. I see the way he looks at you. Why'd you two break up? We wanted different things. Like what? I wanted a husband. He wanted a wife. And we are back. And um, <laughs> already for song and dance time. No, <laughs> I'm not asking everybody what their drag name would be because I know I haven't given it any thought. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we should do that anyway. <laughs> maybe to be continued. But here we are to talk about Torch Lung Trilogy, Torch Song Trilogy. The 1988 uh, film adaptation of Harvey Firestein's Tony Award-winning play, starring Harvey Firestein. Um, yes, yeah, starring Harvey Firestein as a famous drag queen who has tragically lost his lover to a hate crime and is now torn between memories of his ex-lover 
of his dead lover, his ex-lover, bisexual, <laughs> who's bisexual, um, his adopted gay son, and his uh, domineering Jewish Brooklyn mother, or Brewish, or Brooklyn Jew. <laughs> played, played, I might add, played, I might add, by Anne Bancroft. Yes. Who I met I once in my life, and I will never forget the day that I met her because it was one of the most glorious days ever. Oh my goodness, I love her so much. Yes, yes, but her her role actually, um, on Broadway and I think even off Broadway was played by Estelle Getty. Yes, <laughs> it was. Yeah, which, but which which makes total sense on stage. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it would not have made sense in this film. No, no. Um, yeah, anyway, and actually, were any of you familiar with this? I don't think any of you were. <laughs> I was I was familiar with the play just because I was, I mean, I, I was a theater major. Um, right. And so I'm familiar with a lot of, a lot of plays, especially because when I, when I was in school, you know, mm -hmm. 80 years ago, um, <laughs> I was I was familiar with plays of the '80s and '90s because we because we studied them, um, and we never studied this one in college. Uh, but it's it's one especially if you were growing up gay, um, back when I was. Um, it's something that you definitely knew about. Yeah, it's very interesting that I missed this because mm -hmm. there was definitely a time where I would just go to Blockbuster and go through the gay section and just. You know, mom making love and a longtime companion. Uh, and, oh like, God, yes. <laughs> so I, I don't know how What's I missed it. What's the baseball movie? What's yeah, the baseball um, one? The Broken Hearts Club. Broken Hearts Club, of course. Yeah. Personal best. Yeah. Desert exactly. Hearts. I mean, those are the lesbian ones. <laughs> it's like basically like like all like the soft core like like drama like heartfelt dramas. Yeah. Where, oh, where at least at least three gay people die mm -hmm. thank you they always still in tragically i know well <laughs> we it was never do anything good <laughs> it was interesting to see this movie though because it was before the aids crisis so it was telling yes. kind of the gay story before yeah. it became all about aids for you know 15 years um so that was that was definitely an interesting aspect to see someone um like kind of growing up and accepting themselves and then, mm -hmm. you know, kind of searching for that family that he's always longed for that he can't get from his own mother. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a smattering of plays um, that, uh, that, that deal with gay characters dying before they were always dying of AIDS. Um, this is one right. of them. L Lanford Wilson's. Um, uh, oh goodness. I was in it. Um Oh my God! Burn this, burn this, duh. Lambert mm -hmm. Wilson's "Burn This" is, a, is another one that was another Broadway hit. I was actually in it. I played the, I played one of the gay characters in it. Um, <laughs> I, but they're very few and far between from that era, so it's it's refreshing. I mean, it's it's awful, of course, how how Alan uh, dies in the movie. Right. Um, but it's uh, it this deals with a different sort of gay life. This deals with a mm -hmm. different sort of 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 window into it. Yeah, and as a it's it, it, so it's interesting that you bring this back in the theater context because I was a double major in English and theater, and as part of our final like senior course that we had to take in order to graduate with an English degree, and um, we had it was a class on comedy, and. This was actually one of the plays I covered 
in my big, huge paper and then oral presentation that I had to do in front of all these Jesuit priests <laughs> and everything. <laughs> I was showing clips from this movie. That was fun. Um, but it was here you have Harvey Firestein. He wrote this in basically as three separate plays produced off off Broadway starting in 1978. And it's covering this time period from what 71 or 73. Um, I think somewhere 73, around there, yeah. 73, I think 73. And so it's starting around that time period. Yeah, you're right. Before, it was really, it, it was necessarily about AIDS, but here it's starting to also deal with these issues of up until the time where Arnold and Alan are together and they're looking to adopt um, David. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be what, 78, 79 or or. Or maybe which is which is literally one year before the AIDS crisis, before HIV really hits, before it's it's grid. Yes, supposed to be seventy-eight to eighty, somewhere in there. You know what I mean? So that was, you know, that was actually a huge issue that for that time period. But still, it it was just still like it wasn't a big deal. Like, oh no, we're not going to get a kid because we're gay. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, you know it that wasn't part of the discussion necessary that was had so much you know in the film or in the play it was you know but that's addressed but mm-hmm. you have the issue of the gay bashing which what happens to which although I mean Alan he's trying to prevent a gay bashing. Um, which interestingly enough, when this play uh, premiered on Broadway as like condensed, like as the trilogy known as Tort Song Trilogy, um, Matthew Broderick, this is 1981, 82, Matthew Broderick played David. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> at, age, at age 19. He, yeah. He talked about the the difference of acting with him in the play and acting with him in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then like, this I was got the years. biggest crush on him as soon as he wasn't my son. But then yeah. as soon as we were finished, I was, you know, he's like, I was laying on the floor crying yeah. when he left. And then all, when he was gone, he, he was my son again. Yeah. <laughs> um, he caught a bunch of shit for a lot of the things he said. He said people were yelling at him when he, uh, wrote about a gay character that wanted to be monogamous. Mm-hmm. He said a lot of his friends were like, that's not what we're, you know, we're oh, gay sure. so we can go out and fuck whoever, whenever, wherever well, you want to adopt. We don't want to adopt. And then other people, like you're talking about this coming out. He wrote this before the AIDS crisis. He wrote right. a lot of people that, you know, they had this thing and they had this thing and they had this thing. And then people started talking. And I think he said the very first study uh that he has tracked down so far for the beginning of the AIDS crisis was like something done at Harvard about putting mm-hmm. all the gay people on an island or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That, 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 that was a real thing. Yeah, exactly. Um and anyway. Well, and what I I just I do love about this 
It's the fact that it shows the dichotomy of there is a portion of the, you know, gay community that wants the monogamy, wants the child, like wants this traditional, quote unquote, traditional heteronormative, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, type family and wants a certain assimilation. But then there's a certain element of which I it also shows an era of where they show the two gay guys trying to sneak into the dyke bar. And it's like it was that era still. I mean, and you you don't get it so much anymore, particularly now that they're not that many um, LGBTQ bars in existence but um you get a lot more uh, mixing of genders now Mm -hmm. i feel in gay bars and then it was that eras too of it was lesbian feminism too there was this whole other feminist separatist element of no we have to have this strict separate space for men and you can't be in here even though you're (laughs) queer too Uh, you know and it was real kind of other and so they're showing it in a playful kind of laughing manner in here but it does also it, it also is a nod to that was that era yeah very much of no this is our separate space and you are not allowed here but i still i love the whole thing in the stud bar where he goes into the back room and he's drinking the beer and uh, did, the you guy guys, did you guys up. find that on youtube <laughs> mm-hmm. okay yeah <laughs> and the guy comes up behind him and you know proceeds to grab him and grind against him and grab his crotch and he's like what do i do with the beer can and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's written into the play and i love that it was kept into the movie and it's just it's this sense of humor that's still maintained of because Here's Arnold, who this is an awkward situation for him of just going back there. And of course. it's made even more awkward. <laughs> and it, it just, it kind of goes to, the, you know, points to how over the top and ridiculous it is in his mind that he's even gone back in that room. Yeah. Because that's so out of his comfort zone. Well, and, and he's awkward himself. I mean, exactly. when anybody ever hits on him, you know, Ed included, it's just like, he can't right. even like make full sentences, you know. Right, right. Yeah, which is which is so refreshing. You know, it's, it's even refreshing back then. You know, I think that I think non LGBT people look at look at LGBT people and they just see sort of like a monolith, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how they all do these things. Yeah. Whether it's you know partying or listening to this kind of music, or you know they all do drugs, or they all have. You know, they're all promiscuous and they all go to the parade. Well, of course you're going to the gay pride parade. Aren't you, Andrew? Of course you're going to go. Why, why wouldn't you spend your Sunday there? You know, it's, it, I think for, for so many people, they just don't know. Um, they just don't know how, how can I say it? I don't like to use the word normal. They don't like to, they don't like, they don't, they don't know how normal our lives really are. 
um, even still today, like they really don't get it. Um, just how like, listen, we're just literally humans who go to work and eat dinner and eat breakfast and lunch sometimes. And like, you know, have the same anxieties and fears that you do, mm -hmm. including being incredibly awkward when you're in dating situations or at bars or whatever. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, well, and that's one thing that th what I think this movie illustrates perfectly is that saying that Arnold is saying to his mother, I mean, like, she's like, you haven't spoken a sentence without the word gay in it. And, you know, yeah, it's like, well, I'm just, it's what I am. Right. And then it's like, mm. why can't you just keep it in the bedroom where it belongs? And he's like, you know, you don't understand. That's, <laughs> that's not, this is who I am. And I'm not going to take this out of my life and, and, and this kind of thing. And I, I just, I love that he, the way he points out to her in that whole scene, that whole back and forth with the two of them where she's like, why, you know, kind of like saying, why, why are you this way? You know, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and he, I know, and he does, you know, end up saying, I know you would wish I were straight, but I'm right, not. Right, right. But, I, but he's like, where he says, Try to imagine the world the other way around. Imagine that every movie, book, magazine, TV, show, newspaper, commercial, billboard told you you should be homosexual, but you knew you're not. And you knew that for you, this is right. You know, and I think that's such a wonderful way to put it. But I mean, there are certain people that, you know, who just, whether they're a bigot or just some sort of family member or whatever, or friend, quote unquote friend, who it just doesn't, it has some sort of disconnect of, they don't understand that this is just who you are. And this is just, you know, and, the, and why visibility is important to us mm -hmm. and why having pride fuck straight pride <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. why it is important is because we've been repeatedly and are repeatedly told the opposite way around that no you're supposed to be straight you know if you're not that's different or it's wrong or it's wrong just because it's different well yeah Other i mean Otherness is demonized in our society mm -hmm. for, for many reasons. I mean, whether otherness on many levels is demonized, but yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in that, in that same scene, it's not, he, he, he tries to turn it around on her, but it still doesn't convince her any other, any other way. And there's just some right. people out there that you're just never going to convince. Uh, it's really unfortunate when it's a family member because you're not ever going to get away from those people and you're going to have to continually prove yourself to them that, yes, I'm gay. It's still a thing. Yeah, right. like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really does become about, you know, Andrew mentioned earlier, you know, the things that we do on Pride. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I'm generally in the parade for whatever group I'm marching with. And then I, I leave it as soon as I possibly can. 
Um, and I, joined, <laughs> I joined them. I joined them after. Um, but, right. You know, Andrew mentioned shows and family, and I'm sure that that's a that's a it's a very common theme in the horror community too. You know, a lot of the listeners of all of our podcasts here, right? Um, right. And right. you know, like you know, that's it's it's also within the LGBT community too. You know, it's if I think a lot of LGBT people, I think I shouldn't say that. I think a lot of I think a lot of white gay people are very white gay men. That's what I'm actually trying to say here. Are are sort of surprised at this whole like new like queerness thing, like this whole new like kids being queer and being very different than than they are and and living in in an entirely different way than I think a lot of gay white men thought that their community would look. Um, and I think it's a really great thing because I think that people are finding their own family in the community too. You know, it's it's the 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 gay community has been so racist and so sizist and so. Um, ageist and so 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 many ist things um, that you know queer kids and queer people have had to find their own chosen families as well where they feel comfortable and where they feel empowered um, so I, I think it's I don't know I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just it's cool to see how everyone has really evolved in that way yeah but so recently <laughs> this bullshit about straight pride and uh came out uh it thoughts i would i would, I would love to hear from you gents <laughs> i mean we Andrew? all know this is, we all know this is bullshit right but um i, I mean think I th it fits in the context of, of kind of what this movie is saying though too Right. I mean, it's it's that classic, like, you know, be thankful that you don't need a pride, you know, that you haven't yeah. that you haven't had to be persecuted and fight fight for literally just to live. Um, And, you know, you get everything you get everything else every other month and every other day and every other hour <laughs> and every other minute. So, like, let us have this one thing. OK. And. We're going to celebrate it. And then you can go back to living your hetero life. It's not a big deal. Everyone relax. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. My joke was that, yeah, you guys, you get every other parade. So, you know, just shut the fuck up. Let us have this one. <laughs> and then, it, then I heard um, a couple of days later that um, MJ Rodriguez from Pose one mm -hmm. of the trans actresses on there uh, <laughs> was uh, going to be leading the Puerto Rican Day Parade along with Ricky Martin. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've invaded even the straight parades. <laughs> yeah, no, right. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're making our way. <laughs> Brian Murphy is getting us all. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Who, considering Ricky Martin was on a yeah exactly Versace. yeah I forgot about that <laughs> he's assembling all of the gays <laughs> right <laughs> for his own Avengers <laughs> or Sarah Paulson <laughs> yeah oh my god oh <laughs> um anyway <laughs> Darren <laughs> I mean you'll get no arguments from me. I think I think a straight pride parade is really fucking stupid. I've been trying to come up with my own joke, like what my straight pride parade would be, because I don't go to Chick-fil-A and I don't drive. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, like 
What's a good, like, uh, <laughs> straight pride for me was when I yelled back at a cop without even thinking about it. Wow. <laughs> that's, that. That's it right there. You, you, you've distilled it down. Yeah. Is when I mouthed off to a cop without even thinking about it. And I was sober. Uh, that, yeah, that's my straight pride parade. I didn't even get a ticket. <laughs> Or a fine or anything. That was not, yeah. So that's that's my straight pride parade because fuck Chick-fil-A. Yeah, um, well, true. But I mean, oh. But then it's just, then when you find out, oh, all of these white supremacist groups are behind it, it's like, well, of course they are. <laughs> yeah, right. what, Milo exactly. Propagandopolis is the, uh, the Grand Marshal. The Grand Marshal. I'm like, oh my God. He's well, such a disgusting pig. Well, and then you see literal Nazis going yes. through the parade in Detroit and yes. with loaded guns yes. and just being let through by the guards and it's and by the police. And it's just like, we're not far off, people. So be mindful. And we're be... not far off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what Alabama churches are going to have their own army and that's where it starts. <sighs> Or in, or in Oregon, the the state house was taken over by by right wing militia. Like that actually that actually happened. That actually happened. It really happened, and the police didn't do anything about it. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it. I mean, we keep talking about like we're going back in time, in a way, and I really feel like it for so many reasons. Like, oh yeah. It's and then when you get the guns involved, it's just even scarier. Right. Um, and all these, some of these, um, yeah, the cops coming to get me as usual. Of course, <laughs> but you know, but but th thinking of time though, I mean, it's this is when I I think that right now is when when films like this are really important, right? Because you know, being like a milestone year, it's the 50th anniversary since Stonewall, and I just I just did this big presentation at my at my work that has nothing to do with LGBT history at all, but. I did a presentation on LGBT history because we take diversity, equity, and inclusion very serious where I work. And we have a monthly meeting all about a certain topic, and I presented on LGBT history. Yada, yada, yada. All that to say, I presented to, you know, primarily non-LGBT people who have no idea where we come from um, and who don't know how, you know, the Christopher Street Liberation Day Parade was the first Pride Parade after Stonewall. And they don't know that you know, nearly 50,000 people died in one year in 1995 from AIDS related illnesses. And that by the end of 90, by the end of 2002, over, over half a million people would be dead. You know, they, they don't know about, they might know about Harvey Milk, but they don't know about Kathy Kosachenko being the first, you know, elected official that, that was, uh, that there was a lesbian in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You know, there are so many things about us that people don't know. And, you know, looking at a film from 88, that talks about, you know, gay life in, you know, the late seventies is, uh, it's a really important thing, especially for you baby gays out there to watch. Um, right. because it, 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 you need to know where we've come from to know where we're going. Um, because if you don't know who we've lost and what we've sacrificed, then you don't really know who you are. Definitely. Well, and I, and you're talking about, uh, companies having, whatever diversity and inclusion kind of yeah. programs and my the agency where i've been working the ad agency they had a couple weeks ago they had a pride 
a happy hour, whatever, um, complete with drag queen. And so I, you know, I was talking to my coworker in the morning, you know, before and saying, Oh yeah, it's at this time I was reminding her and everything. And then we're working for about, I don't know, half an hour or so. And she turns to me and she's like, Vanessa, what was Stonewall? <laughs> and this is a woman who's like Italian, uh, American from Brooklyn, about six, early 60s. And I, she just looked at me and just was like, what was Stonewall? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it made, and she was like genuinely wanted to know. And it made me so happy. <laughs> like she, wow. she was like, I want to know what all of this. She's like, I hear about this stuff going on. And, you know, she's like, I know. She's like, I was only like 10 or so when it was, you know, when it happened. So I, you know, wasn't on my radar. I don't know. I don't remember it. You know, what happened? And mm-hmm. so I gave her kind of like a brief, you know, explanation and everything. I said, and if you want to know more, I, you know, I could give you more information and she's like no actually i'm interested and i gave her you know i'm like yeah and this pbs documentary on it just aired and you know and i can get i have a book if you want to borrow that i mean like all this stuff <laughs> she's like okay yeah yeah i might i really might borrow your book and i'm like okay sure i'm like That's awesome I, and you know just because she was like i hear about this and i don't know and you know i was like that just made me so happy that you know she was just kind of like was wanted to educate herself and um yeah you know it's like it's not like she's closed-minded but it's sometimes just a different generation and right you know different exposure and she's had a limited exposure and the fact that she's just even Mm open-minded well you're you're truly illustrating why we need pride month it's right. to it's to bring it to the forefront so that people that have not educated themselves on it have a chance to think about it and have a chance to do their own investigation about it and really learn who we are where we came from and, and that's why pride exists is so that people that don't normally have to face this stuff can think about somebody else for a change instead of themselves and you know learn a little something totally agree Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to think of something light and fun to ask compared <laughs> to because <laughs> you know our discussion is so heavy. Oh, I was just saying we we actually both do have drag names. <laughs> okay, sure. So mine is uh, Buffy Hummers. <laughs> nice. Okay. And mine mine is mine is Tori Anus. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it, honestly i'll be very very transparent here um it was gifted to me by andrew <laughs> and i'm i'm ever grateful because i i do think it's probably the f- well i think it's 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 the funniest drag name that i've ever heard last night watching a documentary called wig on hbo i did there there is a queen on there whose name is flotilla debarge and she's actually a pretty famous drag queen in New York, but I had never seen her name before. And it's this, I couldn't stop laughing about it all night because her name was fucking Flotilla DeBarge. <laughs> and it's really funny. <laughs> so that's that. 
Yeah, there. Are, I, I know. I, well, and that's one thing I was wondering. I was thinking about in watching this movie again. Like I hadn't watched it in a while, and I just kept thinking, "What place is that where they're doing drag? Because they have a really elaborate stage with all right. the lights." I'm like that is like no drag bar I've ever been to even in the village in the you know 2001 plus <laughs> like yeah. we actually do have a bar like that here in Chicago it's called the Baton Lounge uh-huh. and it's it's very Classic. elaborate yeah it's it's literally only for drag shows that you pay a you know a, a good amount of money to go to yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the interior club shots were done in LA. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of exterior shot when he could in New York, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. For, oh. Okay, this will promote people checking out the the director commentary. He talks about the name of the club, and some of the people like the uh, like the performer who came out and picked up um. Matthew Broderick, after he fainted, was one of the people that worked there, usually, mm. huh. uh, where they shot it. And uh, he, he, yeah, he, his, uh, his commentary is pretty, pretty mm. good. It's one of the better ones I've listened to recently. I, it did. It was pretty funny to see a. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Drag Race, but you know, it was kind of like seeing the pit crew for the first time because yeah, they had those sure. two like muscly guys that were announcing <laughs> yeah. everybody. But uh, you know, I should have. I have never seen Drag Race, and I was going to because uh, Nina West is from here. Yeah, yeah. And but I, I still haven't haven't seen it. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a show that you uh, can really just kind of fall down a hole with. It's I mean, it's like any it's like any reality show. You're going to get addicted to it because you're going to fall in love with the people on it. And then um, I mean, I, I'm fun uh, guest hosts or guest judges. Mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I yeah. think it was fun to see like Miley Cyrus get like manhandled by some, <laughs> uh, nutmeg ganache or whatever. That yeah. name. Nutmeg but, ganache. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some of the names are just completely fabulous. I follow so many drag queens on Instagram. That's probably most of the people I follow on Instagram. (laughs) If it's not that, it's like sloths or monkeys or animals. Like I'm just fuck people. Like other than that, drag queens and animals. (laughs) Not many people. Uh, I'm (laughs) a Shangela. I'm a Shangela guy for life. Oh yeah, there are just so many, so many good ones in uh, so many different ways. And um, last year, or two years ago, excuse me, when we for Pride, when we covered um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, I happened to a couple days before I was able to catch uh, in the theater hosted by whatever happened to Baby Jane, hosted by Head of Lettuce. Um, oh, oh my god! <laughs> commentary. Oh my god. Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Oh, it was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and we talk about why it's important for LGBTQ youth today to see something like this that portrays a different era. Because this, look at what drag is in this era mm-hmm. compared to what drag is now. Sure. 
You know what I mean? We over on Psychosemantic, we talked about what it was in the eighties and we, you know, with Paris is burning. That was exactly. a scene of that time. It was very, and that was very much, that wasn't complete drag, but to some, you know, there was a certain amount of that. Well, I mean, dra- dra- drag is so ubiquitous now. Like it's, it's not, right. it's, it's, um, you know, I've, 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 I'm, let, let's face it. I'm an, I'm an old gay man at this point. Um, <laughs> and I, I've, I've often said to some of my older counterparts, you know, what if I told every gay baby, you don't have to be a drag queen if you don't want to, because it, it, <laughs> it, it, it sort of seems like, damn, everybody's a drag queen all of a sudden, um, which is fine. Right. You know, play, play, play how you want to play. Of course, I, I'm not being silly about that, but. Um, you know, being a drag, being a drag queen, and I can't speak to it exactly, of course, I'm fully aware of that, but being a drag queen in the era of this film, for example, was a far different thing than what it means to be a drag queen today. Um, yep. And, you know, don't get me wrong, people who do drag, of course, they face a certain amount of of, uh, of harassment and ridicule that isn't part of the show. But back then, like, I mean, it was really something very different in the same way that just being gay and, you know, holding someone's hand or, or being openly out or, or, you know, this or whatever, they all carry different circumstances, but certainly in the context of drag, I think it was just, it was a much more revolutionary thing back, back, you know, way back when, um, not to like toot the, toot the old horn here, but it was just something different. And so, well, you know, it, it is really interesting to see how it's all evolved and to see mm-hmm. how, just normal it is in culture now like i said ubiquitous it's just sort of everywhere you know it's, it's a given for a bachelorette party it's a given for for this or for that it's 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 interesting well i think that was addressed also i mean you see somewhat in this film what drag was at that time because you have these certain amount of audience members that are heckling the drag queens and start to get physical and everything and have to be thrown out because they're misbehaving. Mm-hmm. You know, they see, they're like, you know, calling the drag queens freaks. Right. But I and, love how the guy that was in Project X with Matthew Broderick pulled a knife on him in this. <laughs> huh. Like, how about I carve it into your pretty pink face? <laughs> Gregory. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Two, three, four. Oh, you, you, <laughs> Appetizing. Sorry. <laughs> you've got to hear him talk about how he ended up with that hair. It's, it's, the hair is. He's like, I well, hated it, my wig, so I just slicked all my hair back and put a fucking ponytail on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. Well, I had to I'm going to have to point out. The costumes were done by Colleen Atwood, which Darren, Handmaid's Tale, also done by Colleen Atwood. Oh. Pointed that out then. Anyway. And it was interesting that they still let Harvey play this part because, I mean, they could have right. easily cast this with like a, a, a handsome, you know, up and comer. And they because let, let's face it, Harvey's not like a like a natural like actor, like that kind of a guy. He's 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 not a knockout. He's, yeah. he's a talent. He's not right. a knockout. Right. And so it was just interesting to see like a, a movie like this where they let him still do it. And I, I thought that was kind of refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely. And I mean, Anne Bancroft, I mean, I just, as his mother, I just love her. She can do no and, wrong. Yeah, exactly. She's perfect. It and, was funny. I was reading a uh, a review from Roger Ebert of all people, and he uh -huh. in that in that um, article was basically saying like, you know, I think that Anne Bancroft has chosen some bad parts lately, but this one's great. And I'm just like, I can't think. I, I'm trying to think of like what he could be speaking to at that time for her career. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I'm glad that, like, uh, Charles Pierce was included in here, mm -hmm. who was a known uh, drag performer who plays Birth of a Nation, mm -hmm. which that's an atrocious drag name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I feel like it, would, it might be hard, except for, like, a trivia connoisseur, to be able to tell roller derby and drag names apart. Seriously. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends on what your uh, shtick is. You know, it kind of it kind of goes back to the whole thing from Gypsy. You know, gotta have a gimmick. You know, or like back in the days of burlesque, it's still the same aspect. Yeah. And this was an era where drag still had a burlesque spirit. Totally. But it, I, I mean. Well, I think once it hit the 80s, it became much more runway and model oriented. We had that discussion, yeah, again, when we were talking mm -hmm. about Paris burning. What does he What does he say, Charles Pierce, when Matthew Broderick's trying to find Arnold in the thrift store when they're uh, dress shopping? Like, so it, it, it was like, for you, I could be or something like that. Or you've got my you've got my vote, baby, baby something. Do you I don't. Don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't uh, remember. Man. Uh, anyway. Okay. He was really funny. I, this was this movie was my exposure to Charles Pierce. I think. Uh, well, I I've seen him in something else. Um, I don't know if it was uh, maybe some sort of production of Le Cachefaux or whatever, because Harvey was involved in writing the story for the play of that for broadway uh, play yeah i mean paid ten thousand dollars yeah oh he but, did a voice uh, on ducktales mm -hmm. sorry i do not know what that was sounded like somebody <laughs> opened up a bottle of sparkling wine right <laughs> At the mere mention of Charles Pierce. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Who does the whole uh, Betty Davis. Bland. <laughs> he didn't eat your din din. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> going we back to our Betty. Going back to our uh, Betty Jane. Uh, or uh, whatever happened to Betty. Uh, uh, Baby Jane. <laughs> <laughs> or as Danzig calls it, letter to daddy. Letter to daddy. That's right. <laughs> I I did not show my child whatever happened to baby Jane, but I did not oppose to it. I just found out about it happening. Yeah. That's okay. But uh anyway, so does anybody have anything else to say about the movie or just I, I don't know, anything kind of in general tied to this movie 
just wonderful and just you know break and move on to the book yeah you know i'd say just you know once again you know if if you can you know it it, watch it you know do do your thing because uh you, you need to watch not just the new love simons you need to watch what came before and so make it a point and do it it's from new line cinema so you probably won't ever find it on blu-ray but right. I, I got the dvd for something like seven dollars and the one special feature on it besides look at a picture of the poster is a director's commentary by harvey firestein <laughs> yeah i haven't listened to that yet i'm very jealous very excited about it now that you've said that <laughs> the one one th- at the very end of this, I did want to add that since the play was four hours long, right. the, the contract with them was that it had to be under two hours long so that he just as a little tiny middle finger, he cut it so that with adding the, uh, the studio logo at the beginning made it over two hours long. yeah he said we cut it exactly like this because they said it had to be under two hours long (laughs) god yeah i i I don't think i'm overselling it but yes i had a lot of fun listening to it was like sitting next to him and watching the movie it was pretty fun yeah yeah i can't i mean i can't recommend this enough and because I think there's so much here on a serious level, like I'm saying, is that it 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 words things in a in a very eloquent manner. That's that's one thing you will always get from Harvey Firestein. Mm-hmm. He is a fantastic writer. And he has these fantastic comedic moments to balance it out when there's something very, very serious. And that's necessary and that is you know it's a way to balance this uncomfortability that that a potential uncomfortability that a straight audience might feel watching this you know story Mm -hmm. about you know a gay person uh you know it's 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 you know that's but it's also he's still speaking very much to the lgbtq community you know he's not giving that up Mm -hmm. and that's a good i think it's a great balance i think again it speaks to his his writing it completely speaks to his writing there's no there's a reason he won tony's for best play for author of best play and for best actor drama actually um that year on broadway but yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Too enthusiastic, clubs up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, or did everybody <laughs> say? I mean, you know, I just had uh, one of the things that right. he he said that stuck with me was when he talks to people who are gonna may, thinking about playing Arnold. He, yeah. Like you're talking about with there being a lot of humor, but a lot of serious, uh, you know, he said, you know, you think you want to play that character. There's a lot of laughs. Everybody's laughing all around him while your life is a misery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's 
we have and that we... and that sums that sums up a great part of what it a great um notion of what it's like to be gay in the modern context with non-lgbt people around you truly yeah yeah we're, we're, it's, it's all a joke until until it gets serious yeah and on that, have a great <laughs> yeah. night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> um, and on that note, okay, we're going to take a break, regroup, and then we're going to come back and uh, talk about the Gilda stories. Be back. I'm loving it. Okay. <laughs> no. Advertising. Okay. This will keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing... All the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars... You can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. And we are back with the Gilda stories. Uh, the winner of the of two Lambda Literary Awards, fiction and science fiction. The Gilda Stories is a very American odyssey, escaping from odyssey, from, if I can't speak, I, I can't try to put on these certain voices today. I don't have it in me, sorry. Um, Gilda Stories, escaping from slavery in the 1850s, Gilda's longing for kinship and community grows over 200 years her introduction into a family of benevolent vampires takes her on an adventurous and dangerous journey full of loud laughter and subtle terror. And Don't yeah, and, the, and there's more going on. But uh, that's, I guess, in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> this, this came out, this Jewel Gomez, uh, wrote this, it came out in 1991 and I don't know. I keep, I keep going back and saying, putting this in the category of Afrofuturism, which is technically, she calls herself the godmother of Afrofuturism because that wouldn't necessarily be a term for another couple years in the literary and whatever cultural world but it definitely you see ah, i i don't know i want to i i wanted i i thought i'd bring this this has nothing to do well in a way it has nothing to do with tort song trilogy but it still has everything to do with it i mean i bet because, she and harvey would be friends 
Yes, absolutely. Well, she loves entertainers. Um, absolutely. But it's about making your own community mm -hmm. and your own family. And that's something that is a reoccurring theme when we are when we keep talking about films about the LGBTQ community. Sure. And this, I mean, as a book, but it, it's it's the same kind of theme. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like though it goes into how there's often horror in horror and sci-fi fantasy, whatever we see a lot. It, it seems that we see a certain amount of otherness being explored. Like, if someone is, L you know, LGBTQ, or if they are a person of color, as we see here too, or a vampire, <laughs> or a vampire, right, right. Right. or all three, right, all three, and that's what makes this another interesting dynamic is because seen through the eyes of a vampire who was a person of color. Mm -hmm. Is a, is a vampire of color. <laughs> Not just pale. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, when we read the synopsis, because I, I had never read this before, but when we read the synopsis, I was like, what am I getting myself into here? But seriously, it's, it's taken with such a level of um, sincerity and uh, heart that it's, uh, it was not what I was expecting when I read the summary. So. Right. It's because I think, that and we had one of our um readers uh our listeners write in and ask about this one moment near the end of the book and i don't know if everybody got to that point in the book i know we've all had crazy schedules and so i know it was kind of to try to get arranged things to you know happen for this show um you know, I know I don't know. Like I said, who got to finish the book and who didn't? Mm -hmm. Are you talking but, about the twenty fifty section? Yes. Okay, I I may know. It's been a while. I have I finished it a little while ago. But yeah, I know. I know. Me too. But it's it it's the fact of there's still you know, ask, asking about why is this moment where she turns, Gilda the vampire turns this addict or whatever, who's, you know, dying or whatever, turns her into a vampire and turns her into her life and, you know, make her her companion. And why is it done, written in such a sensual manner? And it's just this, I feel this entire book is, I feel that's partly the author's style, mm -hmm. but so much of what you see, particularly, I, I, I mean, I've read a lot of lesbian vampire stuff. <laughs> I've read a lot of vampire <laughs> things. The hell but you I've read say. a little the hell I say um I kind of kind of little obsessed um to put it mildly anyway so there's this 
but it's still through all kinds of vampire lore that mm-hmm. would, I mean, most of it, I should say, not com- not all of it, but most of it, there's still this air of sensuality and what is taboo. And, you know, Dracula was about, had a certain amount of Victorian sensuality, but predating that by 20 years was the lesbian vampire no- novel, Carmilla, you know, which again, the love that dare not speak its name. Mm-hmm. I mean, Queen Victoria put sodomy laws in place, but she didn't. They didn't apply to lesbians because she couldn't imagine what two women could do together. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean <laughs> sure. But I, and these laws that who've been and speaking of these crazy laws, like India breaking, like finally voting down and and breaking all these laws that have been put in place from the colonial, the days of British colonialism, you know, well, sure. the- I, it, would, it would probably surprise a lot of listeners when they remember that sodomy laws in America didn't fall until 2003. Right. Right. Exactly. It's just, and some way in some States that applied to same, I mean, uh, heterosexual couples too. You know, not just same-sex couples. Like, <laughs> right? That's what they didn't realize either. It's just who was it being reinforced against? You know. Well, and I feel like um, you see this a lot in vampire lore, especially that there is a kind of a queerness to it, and that there right. is like a sensuality to it, and it, it's something that's come up in even the tamest of vampire stories. I mean, I just think of the kind of kinship that um, Lestat and um, Louis have in Interview with the Vampire and some of those stories. And there's always allusions to this kind of like queerness. Oh, sure. But and well, and and, and in her in her future books, too, mm-hmm. especially in Vampire Armand. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. But you yeah. And I mean, you can go through and see um, The Hunger by Whitley mm-hmm. Schreiber. You can see it in, um, Jesus, I'm now all of a sudden drawing a blank, but I mean, there's just, I mean, there's a, there's a long list of like big name ones. (laughs) It's not, it's not like, oh, this is no secret. (laughs) Right. 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 Exactly. So it, it, it gives, it's a space that allows us to have a certain visibility and to you know you know explore our our family Mm -hmm. and how we exist in relationships because it's they're having to also these vampires are having to teach themselves how do i create a relationship with a partner or do i just you know do i not have that or what i mean what am I going to have to fill any emotional need or am I going to give that up completely and become just a complete, you know, bloodless monster and just kill a killing machine? You know, do I go? How much of your humanity are you willing to sacrifice to have this eternal life? Yeah, that's my plan. Right. It will. I've got got two more years on this, on this direction I'm on. If it doesn't work out, I'm going, I'm going vampire route. Well, and interestingly enough, I mean, the hunger 
it it goes it takes more the stance that that vampires are are more like an alien race and it also incorporates a lot of egyptian and a uh, mytho mythology um about the afterlife into it and it makes it like like vampires are almost more of an alien race and 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 so it, it's kind of it, it's a, that's an interesting take here at where you have that that was written a few years before that before this but um i feel like this is also written i mean it's from i mean not only from obviously the different perspective of some this is written by someone who's a person of color because but because it should be noted that Jewel Gomez is mixed race, you know, she's black and Native American. Mm. And you have characters representing both those races in this book. Yeah. Even though Gilda herself is black, you know, but they, of course, they talk about because she's from the South, the whatever various mixed race and how it works in society down there and such like Creole society and, and, and whatever. But, um, I mean, so that, I mean, that, that adds another interesting layer to bring that in because yes, you usually do see these white vampires. Right. And that's, and that's just it. You know, and maybe you see, okay, a one who's like of a different race, but they're very much a back character. You don't see the story told from their point of view. Well, sure. And with, and so, with so many other well-rounded characters, even side characters, who are also people of color and their stories told. Well, and we, we do see in, in 1930s literature and 1940s, there's a lot of speculative fiction um, that looks at like a very male centric point of view. So there are there are zombie stories that I've read and there is there's a, a wonderful Afro future story uh, called Black No More, which is really, really good stuff. I think it's from like 38, maybe I can't I can't quite remember. Um, but there's nothing about women uh, where, where they're where they're the main characters, and there's certainly nothing about women vampires um, that that are that are also African American. I might add. So um, I'm, you know, it, it is interesting to see this as as really, uh, I don't know, are there are there other big stories about African American women being vampires that we really know of besides the one mini character in Interview with the Vampire? Ah, uh, I've. Um... I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I know I've read some short stories. Actually, I think I have read one maybe about 10 to 15 years ago. One of those that was like independently published. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't like fantastic. And I mean, like this is also so well written and so, you know, so many levels. Mm -hmm. because it looks this is not like a long long book but it, it i feel like it covers so much in that kind of what it it looks at and what it i mean it's 
what it just what it's you know d- dealing with and you know i i feel that it's interesting that you see here it, every time i i read that well how i stumbled upon how i came upon this is first actually i read i picked up just randomly in the late 90s her short story anthology called don't explain and it has a continuing chapter from this mm. called house and um and so yeah so i read that and it's like oh this is you know continuing of the gilda stories and i'm like what's the gilda stories and i was really into like, i'd been on my crazy reading about vampire streak <laughs> or whatever <laughs> and so i was like it's about vampires lesbian vampires i must read of course <laughs> and so um oh, i was just i just devoured it and yeah and i was also reading a lot of zora neale hurston at the time too so <laughs> it was also <laughs> oh yeah of course um yeah it was also just because you know there's Part of this, I mean, that that goes into, does it go into the 30s? I know it goes into the 50s. But, it, you know, it just, it captures these elements, even when these portions of the book is not spending a, as long of a time there in that mm-hmm. setting. It captures certain elements about that time and and how also certain issues that have been dealt with and over time they're still there they're just in different ways we're dealing with them or whatever zora the you know zora categories (laughs) but yeah i i mean i think that's and i yeah i think it's interesting too um again going back to this whole concept of we it's our you know our family our chosen family yeah, constantly searching for community. Right. Right. Ugh, sorry. I got distracted because of the cat. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm pushing was, me off of the couch. I was just coming to grips with my life after now knowing that not all gay people are vampires. Oh, <laughs> um, well. Right? Not all of them. <laughs> well. <laughs> For yourself um <laughs> no it, and and i like that you have all different sorts of people portrayed and as far as also the with the different kinds of vampires as far as how they see this situation they're in what do they do with it Mm-hmm. How do they decide to cope with society? And yeah. do you assimilate or do you go do your own thing? You know, do you fit in like you were before? Or do you take this opportunity to, you know, make it about that instead of trying to fit in with the rest of the world? And you have to obviously stay under the radar somewhat, but you know, where do you find your place in society? Well, and, and so many stories about so, so many of the stories of just everything, right. Are about how are we to live within the life that we have, you know, so before right. you die, 
but what if you live forever? You know, then how do you live? What does that actually look like? What, how does that change the, the normal, um, the normal look at life? Yeah. But every time I, 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 I read this, I start thinking about the, uh, Lizzie Borden film, um, the radical lesbian feminist filmmaker, her uh, film, the uh, Born in Flames. Have any of you seen that? No, I have not. No. Yeah, I just bought it on, uh, I found it on Blu-ray and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't have time to watch it or rewatch it before this recording. But I, it's one of those, again, Afrofuturism before that was a thing, but it was early 80s and at that time and it was also still this radical feminist and, and then radical like unapologetically queer kind of independent film huh. uh, yeah very you know do-it-yourself uh, uh black woman you know makes the film and it's yeah, it just revolutionary in a way. And this this just puts things in. I mean, it, there's, it's kind of like we read about vampires and read about monsters and horror or whatever dragons, whatever maybe and science fiction, fantasy, you know, type stuff. We as readers as a whole. And we look for, you know, we look for, we then as LGBTQ viewers, readers, listeners, whatever, then look for specifically where is the other? Because we so often feel like the other. Mm -hmm. Even if we might be identifying with the hero, whatever of the film, it's still, you know, we still feel like we are on the, you know, we're still different. We're still told we're wrong or we just, you know, we just know we're not what's expected in this quote unquote normal vision. And so we see the monster or whatever. <laughs> and so often we identify that with that. And that's why I think so often we come back to characters like vampires. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at actual mythologies around the world, interestingly enough, a lot of this kind of got is what happened when colonialism invaded certain parts of the world and, you know, perverted traditional uh, indigenous spiritual beliefs. Um, <laughs> you start turning these female positive or sex positive, particularly, and often lesbian um, deities into these demonized characters and a lot of times they are associated with vampires. It's and, and with vampire mythology. 
and it, you know so much like it goes back to a certain amount of vagina the, the den, den, dentata like we're going to suck you know the life force out of you we're gonna suck <laughs> your blood right. you know we're gonna suck your semen like the incubus like i mean that's the one of the common ones but you even see like Thank you. Again, the cops coming after me when I'm getting on my soapbox. Sorry. When I, will you women learn? I know. And what's what's the handmaid's tale um, term? Under his eye. Yeah. Oh no, I'm the gender or... outlaw. I'm the gender outlaw. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, another thing entirely, but which actually I wanted to bring up. To, to sidetrack what I was saying, but I wanted to bring up, I think this is very important to bring up, is that you do have this element that this gets into as this movie, I mean, this book progresses into the quote-unquote, the present, what's supposed to be the present, and then what is the future? What ending mm -hmm. in, if, what ends in 50, mm -hmm. uh, 2050? And there's a certain, you see a certain amount of environment you know, environmentalism at play and how the ecology and, and how the environment has just completely degraded in this country and in this world and how it's really affecting survival. Mm -hmm. She wasn't far off. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's interesting that this is also brought into that issue is also brought into this. I mean, that's why I'm saying this, this book covers so many different things. I mean, I mean, covering slavery, you know, and Jim Crow type issues, as well as, you know, environmentalism, you know, it's, and then there's, I mean, it has this queerness about it throughout it. So much of it without necessarily saying gay. <laughs> it mm, just, right. Sure. It just is. Because you have some characters that seem very obviously gay. And then you have some that seem bi or pansexual, whatever. Whichever, you know. So you you see a variety and it's it just is what it is. And then you see, you know, some that just gender expression. Because also when... You have Gilda on the run initially, or actually periodically, it seems. She talks about going, you know, running in, in men's clothing and getting going on the run in drag. Mm -hmm. And that's her, her way of passing through all this dangerous life and how she starts to make her, you know, make you know, because she's black and being a black woman, she feels she would get harassed more. I mean, like she tries to like figure out a way like, okay, I could, you know, if I try to pass as a man and all those different things and it, it's, you know, it becomes this interesting safety net. Drag becomes an interesting safety net for her. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, survival skill, truthfully, but um, I mean, like I said, the, you have so many of these things that are touched upon, but it's never, this book isn't so much like I'm forcing all of this down your throat. It doesn't ever feel, at least to me, 
it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm shoving all of this down your throat. It's so overwhelming. Right. It felt like a beach book to me. Right. I mean, yeah, because it's also kind of sexy. I mean, that's <laughs> like, that's the added bonus. Sure. I'm sure, at least for me, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. Gents. Andrew, yeah. Maddie. Yeah. Um, I, I got about halfway through the book just given time. Um, but uh, what I what I did read, it was very interesting to see the vampire story come from even um, like slavery times because you don't really see that depicted. It's usually either um, the, the vampires are either like elitists or come from like a, a certain social class that is above everyone else. Um, so it was interesting seeing kind of that evolution of her trying to figure out where she belonged being, you know, a, a freed slave, essentially, or escaped slave. But Well, bringing that fact to interview with a vampire, you know, mm-hmm. Louis is turned by Lestat during slavery times. Right. And he's a, but he's a slave owner. <laughs> it's right. a different story entirely. They have a certain amount of wealth and means. Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> Didn't yeah. they don't have to struggle as much as what she had to, and really like, it's not as arduous of a journey. They, he's kind of just born into this like class of, well, we're already rich, we already have slaves, everything's great. Like, let's live as vampires now. Whereas this is, you know, really her struggling to kind of find where she belongs. Well, it also speaks to a certain agency of women, like women finding independence in I okay, I don't I'm not, you know, getting married and depending on my husband's income, you know, whatever I mean, obviously she couldn't during the slavery or you know, reconstruct reconstruction times, whatever, because of whatever the economy. But as a single woman, she's forced what what are her choices as right. far as employment goes and how does she you know not just make ends meet because she can't just she has to have a certain amount saved up because she's in a a unique position that if she has to flee at a moment's notice she has to have at least money to get the hell out of town right or wherever i mean she has to have at least some safety net there Mm -hmm. so in the for fact your that- entire existence, not just, you know, the, you know, 50 to 70 years that, you know, a normal human would get. Yeah, which is a whole different kind of prison, isn't it? Right. Well, and you see her, I mean, initially she's in a, you know, working in a brothel, you know, as before she's turned, she's working as a servant to, you know, the, uh, the different people who work there and you know it and so she starts off in sex work related i mean and then she does i mean she then ends up owning it the brothel because the original gilda her maker mm-hmm. who be the name you know it was the madam of the whorehouse 
whatever, you know, and it's just, but you see her go back to this element of sex work or be around sex workers because even once she, in the 1950s part, I think it is, where she opens a beauty parlor, a lot of her clients or, or are, you know, sex workers, or she just gives refuge to the sex workers. Like, why don't you come out, you know, you're out, out there, whatever, you're in the cold, whatever, come in, you know, I'll take care of you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it, it just shows it, you the opportunities that were not there for women, especially women that were single or, you know, not straight. So. Well, and it also, it, it it's this sense of, it's added sense of we sometimes are on the fringes of society and are, you know, we are, consi- we, if, you know, like we were talking about on our Paris is burning commentary where a lot of LGBTQ like youth, you know, end up homeless or, you know, and a lot of will go into sex work, you know, just out of a means of survival. And I mean, if you want to choose sex work, that's, I mean, fine. But if you're underage, I mean, it's a different story. Um, You know what I mean? And she also should just never be forced into it, you know, just out of desperation. You know, but if, I mean, to just be able to have other options, but that is a segment of society that is considered outsiders. So of course it makes sense that the vampires would be hanging around. Of course. With with sex workers. Because, you know, it also then made me think about, um, what was that 80s movie? Vamp with Grace Jones. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, they make they make for easy victims too because nobody's going to remember who yeah. they are. Their their lives are insignificant at some point to the rest of society. Yeah, I I mean it's sorry, I do not know what's going on in my neighborhood today. It's it's a little I, out of control. I don't know why you try to cut out the sirens. I think it's fine. <laughs> Embrace your sirens. A little obnoxious sometimes. Um you know, it, but yeah, it, it is. I mean, so often we are an outsider to some degree, you know, maybe and maybe not to the degree that we have to, you know, that the vampire is <laughs> whatever and has to be if it, you know, is living in mainstream society. But, you know. There's just a certain amount of how do we make it through every day? You know, and when also we hit these walls, you know, we have these people trying to keep us down. You know, how do we keep up some element of hope? Because continually Gilda, you know, is on the run, you know, for different, you know, at different points or whatever. But she has these these moments of hope for for all these different things in the future or just you know stability what or or just for stability you know right right exactly she's still it's still this certain sense of humanity i guess if you want to call it that 
you know, it's, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Eddie? I, think, I think we're fading. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the conversation might've found its way to its natural conclusion. Okay. Is Maddie still there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right here. Okay. He's, just, he's just yawning his way through it. <laughs> not, no, no, I'm not. I didn't hear you for a really long time. And I'm like, I knew we were wrapping up, but I was also like, wait, it's been a really long time. No, since no, 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 no. I wasn't, I wasn't yawning through you at all. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, what I think what you had to say was, was, was dead on. But, um, part, part in the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so would anybody recommend this? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think given the time that it was written, it was probably definitely ahead of its time, uh, especially for, um, you know, being a, a lesbian uh, African-American vampire story. I guess I going into it, I yeah. was like, is this going to be fantasy? Is this going to be something that's going to teach me something? And I think it kind of does all of that. Yeah, and so. I mean, I mean, come on. The the stories that people think about you know, in our community, right? When they think about vampires, you're going to think about it in two ways. You're thinking about either Buffy, or you're thinking of Interview with the Vampire, or or maybe um, what's the thing on uh, the the New Zealand one? What is that called? What we do in the, what shadows. We do in the shadows. shadows. But that, but that's an entirely new thing, right? So like it, it, this is something very different. It's you know just like you just said, it's it's an African American story. It's a vampire story. It's a lesbian story. Um, and it's also a speculative fiction story. So it, you know, it wraps up a whole lot yeah. of things in one. Um, and yeah. you know, for that reason alone, like, of course, without a doubt. Yeah. And I, I feel that it's nice and easy to read. I mean, like you said, Darren, it's kind of like a beach read it, because the, I mean, the fact that it is broken up into chapters that are contained short stories almost it makes perfect sense so that when there was an extra chapter, an extra story, you know, that ended up, that ended up in another short story anthology or short story anthology that she did. It, it made total sense that it was like, no, it, that's just how it was meant to, those stories were meant to, you know, be told. And it's just like, Oh, it's the continuing saga of Gilda. Kind of like your old, you know, what Flash Gordon serials. I mean, like, totally. <laughs> like I know that, Mister Man. They're also called chapter plays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is that it's like it's just like the continuing adventures of you know, whatever. And um, it just it, it it it's nice, easy reading because you can break it up if you want, you know, and it it doesn't lose anything. And, you know, if you like set it down then and pick it back up a little while later, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's very, you know, user-friendly because I know some people, like I said, it's still not a long book. It's not even what it's what, not even 275 pages, but at least my copy isn't. And, um, yeah, it just, I definitely recommend it because I feel like there's just a lot going on and it's different. <laughs> it's different. It takes, it's a different take on the genre. Totally. Uh, yeah, definitely. So 
Yes. Anyway. Okay. Well. Um, Andrew and Maddie. Hi. Where can uh, people find you on a regular basis? Oh, they can find us everywhere, basically. Um, under your bed, in your drawers, in your shower. We're going to be in your car. Um, and we'll be under the seat on public transit. But you can also find us um, on Twitter at at Friday 13. You can find us on Instagram with the same handle at Friday 13. You, of course, can find us on Facebook. Just Facebook.com slash Friday 13. Our website, I bet you're going to be surprised, is Friday13.com. <laughs> and of course, you can listen to our podcast on all uh, all of your podcast network thingies. Um, and as always, it's it's always a pleasure to be with two people in the podcasting biz that we just love, Vanessa and Darren. Um, and thank you so much for having us um, because we just love being in this weird, wacky, crazy family with you. Well, I, I enjoy myself. Thank yeah. You. I love having I love having both of you here. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. And also I'm gonna pimp your merchandise. Uh yes. <laughs> you can uh, I think we said that on uh Darren's show, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, we always I at least I feel like we always have a good conversation with you. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Too. Yeah. And that's why I was happy that uh, was it one of those corporate uh, people that really suck that came up with the pride all year, all year long, or was that actually a good person? Um, Wait for which one? wasn't Wasn't the hashtag going around pride all year long? Oh, recently? Uh, uh, I don't think I, I heard. I feel like I, I don't think that. I've seen it. Well, what you're talking. About. I made it up. That way, I can just say. <laughs> <laughs> we don't only have to do this in June, I think. Yes. yes. Thank you. Of course. All the time yeah. is a good time. Yeah. Seriously and for fun. That's Yeah, yeah. well and, and it's I have to point out my my original and I was half joking. I was only only half joking when I said this. <laughs> my original thought for Pride this year was doing um Rita Mae Brown's Ruby Fruit Jungle and then uh, Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was just like, oh, but that's just, it's just a little too silly <laughs> to uh, make that connection. But anyway. There's always next year. <laughs> I know. I know. Who knows? Who knows? But, um, Okay, um, Darren, do you have anything to add before I guess we wrap it up? Or are we, say, as we wrap uh, it up? <laughs> tune in for the VD Clinic slash Psychosemantic Joint, where Vanessa and I are going to be wading our way through the Handmaid's Tale, the new Handmaid's Tale season. Oh yeah, so sort of springing forward from our previous conversation where we worked in aspects of the previous two seasons with our discussion of the movie and the book. Um. Also here at the VD Clinic next month, we are doing Belle de Jean and yes. the Shauna Kinney memoir, I Was a Teenage Dominatrix. Yeah. Um, over at Psychosemantic, uh, let's see, Gross Point Blank with The Witch. Look for that. That's coming out sometime around here uh, from Witch, uh, Witch versus the Doomsday Clock. And yes. I don't plan too far ahead over there, so just check it out 
Fun. Awesome. Almost all of these. Yes, all of these can be found on the Legion Podcast Network. Boom. Got yeah. that in. Okay. Thanks, there we everybody. Go. Yeah. There we go. On that note, happy pride. Happy pride. Happy pride. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Um, Merchandising where the real money in the podcast is made. Ay, 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 ay. Okay. VD Clinic God. the condom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more.